Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. We are here today with a new friend who, I I mean, social media is a powerful thing, people. I'm just going to put that out there. A new friend that I found her brilliance um, through social media. Allison Norlian is, I'm going to read this because I want to make sure that I get all of her wonderful accolades uh, (laughs) out right here for you. Allison is a three-time Emmy-nominated journalist with a decade of experience in media who has covered major national stories like the aftermath of Charlottesville Unite the Right rally and President Trump's travel ban in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Currently, she writes for Forbes Women, Healthy Women, and is the co-owner of a production company, Bird Mine. I love that name, which focuses on amplifying (laughs) the stories of underrepresented communities. There's so much more. But um, I want to let Allison tell you her story because it is a wonderful story. So Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. (laughs) We are so excited to talk to you. Um, Not the least because it's always great for us to meet new people, but especially when their message and their mission aligns with ours through some, you know, serendipitous forces. So Mm -hmm. What I want people to know about you, I'm going to let you tell them, but we talk about reset, rise and reveal your brilliance. And for us, often the reset comes in what we call the form of a train wreck, something Mm -hmm. unexpected or a sucker punch or something that hits you. And through that, you can find your brilliance, but your, your influencer and the thing that started you on this path, we would never call a train wreck or a sucker punch. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was something that other people look on and think, oh, how unfortunate, but you had a very different view. So I want you to tell your story and tell us about this person who influenced your trajectory. Sure. It's funny because, um, well, it's interesting. I feel like the life I was born into, um, all the challenges that I faced, many people, right, would view them as unfortunate, like what you just described that word, um, whether it be, um, the fact that I, I come from a, a family, a, a broken home, right? My parents were divorced. Um, they got divorced when I was four. My older sister is severely disabled. There was just a lot of different um, challenges that we faced, that I faced growing up. And for me, what I took those challenges and um, and just to kind of play off of what your brand is and what your the name of your podcast is, um, I took my challenges and made it my superpower. It took me a long time to get that to get to that place. Um, but so just to give you some of my background, as I said, uh, I come I grew up in New Jersey. My parents got divorced when I was four and my mom was a single mother raising a, a severely disabled young woman and me by herself. Um, my older sister, she's six years older than me. 
and um, she has uh, severe disabilities. They classify her as having some type of syndrome with autistic characteristics. Um, so she's uh, vocal, but not verbal and needs 24 hour care. I was the second child. So I, it's all I knew, right? Like people ask me and I say, um, my sister was my sister. I, I didn't uh, view her any differently or understand our differences truly until I started to get out into the world and into the, into the community and see how people view people with disabilities and understand that our society treats people with disabilities um, very poorly. And by default, my family was on the, you know, receiving end of a lot of um, just yuck. bullying. A lot of yeah. yuck. A lot of yuck, exactly. <laughs> and um, exactly. And so, you know, growing up, it was very difficult, but I became, but through those difficulties, I became an advocate and I tried my best through out school and, and you know, in, in high school and middle school and college to just be an advocate for those with disabilities. And then um, I ended up having a teacher who was really the reason I became a journalist. Um, he said to me one day after a project that I, his comment was like, I had presented a project and his comment was, you are a great English student, but you have a real presence about yourself and you thought outside the box and you're an advocate for people with disabilities specifically, you should really think about going into journalism. That would be a great route to go based on your experiences and your history. And I was a junior in high school at the time. And I thought to myself, you know, cause that's the time when you're really looking to see what you're gonna do with your life. Mm -hmm. And I was thought to myself, wow, he's, he's right. And I went home that night, my mom always had the six o'clock news on. And I looked and I said, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna be a journalist. Um, and that was really how everything got to this point. You know, I never, ex I didn't expect, I guess, to have the impact that I've been able to have. Um, and it's been really like, people ask me and I say, I have the best job in the world because I, I get to talk to people every day. I get to meet new people and really expand my thoughts and, and views on my surroundings, but also I get to advocate and truly try to make a difference through my work. So yeah. Oh. So I don't know if that's the long way of saying that my sister, my sister is the biggest influence in, in everything that I do. Man, I gotta tell you, Alison, I'm feeling like we're sisters from other misters because <laughs> you're singing my song here. I just see the sparks yeah. going off and Kristen, went <laughs> I'm like, all right, so this is, there's that story that Kristen has about the boys and there's, this I mean, the, the whole thing with, with, um, the way that you said that you, your life was always that, like your sister is your sister. My, my youngest child came into a family where her two brothers are blind. And, but she, I, I mentioned at the end of my Ted talk that she was born into a family of inclusion. Uh, we didn't, my boys do not have multiple disabilities. It is, I would say it's just blindness people. It is just <laughs> blindness. Right. But as you, as you so eloquently said, the world looks at people with disabilities differently. And it was just, I watched the struggle that my Carissa went through. She's 17 now. And it was, it was more painful for me to watch her struggle with people's views of disabilities and blindness than my then advocating for my boys to get the tools they need because she came into this seeing what it's like when the tools are present like she mm -hmm. doesn't see 
the cane, the white cane as a barrier. She sees it as a tool of independence. You know, she doesn't see a wheelchair as a barrier. She sees it as a tool for mobility. You know, that she just has a different view. But when she went through that struggle that you mentioned of, oh my God, the world does not see this as tools. They yeah. see it as less than. Yep. It was, it was really, really some hard years, but like you, she persevered through that, you know, and, and I had to go and find some tools for her to be able to process. And I got to tell you watching her now and I, every single coach and most parents on teams that she's on, she's very talented in sports. They come to me and say, Carissa can see and points out and communicates everybody's strength. It's not yep. about what they can't do. She is always building on what they can do. And she wants to go into teaching. Like she has this clear teaching, coaching, but, but exactly what you're saying, the brilliance that was uncovered mm -hmm. from what most people would, would think was pitiful. Yep. You used as positive and, and look where you're at now. Plus my Mitchell wants to be a journalist. So <laughs> well, if he ever, if he ever has questions, he can always reach out to me. <laughs> I told him he has to have a, a pen name though, because I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about what he's going to do to my brand with his, with his personality and opinion. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so you, you know, you, as Kristen and you, and you said you were born into this. So how challenging was it for you when you did go out into the world um, to, to kind of, think like, how can I sort of change people's opinions? And was that, was that what you started out as? Or were you just like, okay, let me just get out here, get into journalism and maybe look at another angle. Was that always kind of in your head to look at things slightly differently to see what else was there? I think so to backtrack the first incident that I experienced that made me realize my family was different was I was in second grade and I had a new friend that I met in class and our parents, our mothers planned a play date for us. And this person came over my house and I just remember my sister, like I said, she's vocal. So she makes noises. And so she was upstairs watching video, making a lot of noise. And this girl and I were playing Barbies in my living room. And she looked at me and said, what is, you know, what is that noise? And I, again, this is just like me remembering, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of, that's just my sister, like not really thinking anything of it. So then my mom brought Becky down for lunch and um, she also, she's mobile. So she moves, you know, she's not, um, she doesn't use a wheelchair, she can walk. And so she came into the room and she was, she has um, like, st she stims like people with autism do. So she has like two bees that she plays with. And so she came in the room and just being herself and this this little girl got very scared and started crying and uh, immediately wanted to go home. And, and we never talked again after that. Yeah. And so that was like, that was my first experience of, wow, I, I just lost a friend because of my sister. And, and in my little brain, my little, uh, you know, second grader brain trying to process what just happened, not truly understanding. Um, and then in, and then I had incidents like that as I continued on in school. And then in seventh grade, I, we were in, uh, I was in English and we were reading a book called Flowers for Algernon. Mm -hmm. And it's a book that has a disabled character. And a bunch of people in my class started making fun of that character mm. out loud and just making all of these jokes about people with disabilities. 
and I'm sure some of them knew I had a disabled sister. I don't really remember or know, but I went home crying. That's what I remember. And my mom and I discussed what I could do. And I, I realized I wanted to, this is, this is really where the advocacy started. So in seventh grade, <laughs> um, I brought my sister into school and gave a presentation where I discussed about disability, what living with a, a sister with a disability was like, and just tried to educate people on my perspective of disability and everything that, and, and how I viewed my sister and how they should view people with disabilities from my perspective. And to this day, I have people from that class who told me I changed their life and they never used the R word ever again. They, you know, it changed their whole perspective. So I think from an early age, unconscious, you know, unconsciously, I was um, trying to change the way the world viewed disability, but not realizing that's what I was doing until I got older. And then once I became a journalist, I really wanted to focus on disability, but I was a TV journalist at first. And so a lot of times you're just covering the grind. I'm a general mm -hmm. assignment reporter. I'm covering the crime and the natural disasters, the weather, all of these other things. Um, and so every time I would try very hard to in anything I could to, to focus on disability stories. And I actually ended up in Richmond, Virginia, which was the last TV station I worked at winning a Catalyst for Change Award from the Arc of Virginia for all the um, work I did about surrounding the disabled community. And then when I moved to LA with my husband for his career, I've really in the last few years come into my my work like I've really it's like the first half of my career was just getting a baseline still doing the kind of advocacy journalism I wanted to do but also doing all this other stuff that I, I really didn't want to do <laughs> um and and now I'm really focused on kind of um I'm focused on on sharing stories of, of marginalized uh, groups specifically the disability community and, and kind of have come into that so that's what I'm really strictly doing now. So this is where we talk about bird mine. <laughs> I just want to say I'm patting myself on the back here because when I saw the name of the company, I thought, I wonder if this has anything to do with canaries and mines. And yes, it does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. so what happened was you went to LA and you you do write for Forbes, you write for um, Healthy Woman magazine. Um, but but your your baby, your sweet spot now is documentary filmmaking, and you formed a company called Bird Mind. So tell us mm -hmm. first of all about, about the name. And then tell us about what this means to you and what you're what you're trying to accomplish through that. Of course. So uh, Birdmine was started with my friend and business partner, Cody Leibowitz. We've known each other since we were interns and we both became television reporters. To make a long story short, talked throughout our career, hoping to become documentary filmmakers because we knew the type of impact we could have doing that. And so fast forward, we start Birdmine. The name of Birdmine is actually um, has a lot to do with Cody's mother who passed away several years ago and she loved the Peanuts characters <laughs> and Woodstock specifically is said to be a canary and then canary in the coal mine back in the day, you know, they used to warn the miners of danger and as journalists, that's what we're doing. We're warning um, people of situations they need to be aware of. We're educating the public as journalists. So that's 
that's how Birdmine came uh, in to be. And my mother, who's an artist, designed our logo. So both our moms are incorporated into our into the name. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. And, yeah, and so um, Birdmine, our whole focus, because Cody was an investigative journalist before we came and started partnering and I've done investigative journalism. I also did a lot of kind of, I really tried to focus on social justice issues and kind of humanitarian issues. And um, so we've kind of combined our skills and our experiences and created Birdmine, which is focusing on marginalized populations of people, specifically disability. But right now we're working on three documentaries. One that is about a woman who was paralyzed in a domestic violence incident in her 20s mm-hmm. and spent the better part of two decades depressed and um, even suicidal. And once she discovered a nonprofit that helps with people with disabilities complete obstacle course races like the Spartan or the Tough Mudder, mm-hmm. It changed her life. And so now she's climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to raise oh, awareness. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, that's, she's talk about daunting under the best of circumstances. It's the it's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And she will be she's paralyzed, so she uses a chair full time and she's gonna be climbing right alongside the rest of the team, you know, quote unquote, non-disabled team. And she has a team that's going to be helping her, you know, what if she, she, she's very determined, you know, and even in her obstacle course races that she does, she has special chairs that are used to terrain and different kinds of um, uh, elements. And so she is going to be herself push pushing herself up the mountain as much as she can. She has a team that, you know, if she comes to a situation where she physically can't do it, they can help lift her. Um, but she's even said to me, like, I would rather crawl up this mountain than have anyone help me. <laughs> so she's amazing. Um, and so that's the big one we're working on. And uh, we were supposed to actually be in Tanzania this, right now I was supposed to be coming home today. Um, but we had to postpone because of the Delta variant. So, but we just got, we're postponed and we're going next year, September 12th. Um, everything's been um, postponed and, and solidified. So we're really excited about that. Um, and then the two other documentaries we're focusing on right now, one has to do with undocumented immigrants and the fact that they work um, nonstop in whether they're farm workers or working in the back of the house jobs in restaurants, feeding people, and when the pandemic hit, many of them lost their jobs and had absolutely no help, no assistance, couldn't apply for government assistance because they're undocumented. And if it wasn't for activists who stepped into the role to feed them and help them survive this pandemic, their situation would have been even more dire. So kind wow. of focusing on the, the plight of undocumented folks in our country. And the third one we're focusing on is, is the homeless crisis in Los Angeles and um, the rise of homelessness and how COVID has impacted the situation. So those are our three babies right now. <laughs> well, you know, you, you are igniting so much hope in my brain because after the past, gosh, what are we now? 18, 24 months of so much anger and hate right? Are, yeah. the, are the two big themes that have happened. And what I know for certain, I don't know a lot of things for certain, but I know that people <laughs> get angry and, and upset and hateful and mean because they're not educated enough. 
They don't have all the information, right? And it's all, and, and watching how people with disabilities and, and the, the different populations that you're talking about with the documentaries you're working on, how they're treated and how they're thought of, mm-hmm. even thought of, most of that comes from there. People just aren't educated on, mm-hmm. on what they, you know, can do, you know, stop getting in the way of our access, you know, to tools and resources yeah. and then wait to see what can happen. And the right. power of story is mm-hmm. unbelievable. So the fact that you're combining that, advocating for them, educating the world on, on these folks in, in such a, uh, story way. And boy, aren't we all like, so into story now as we all got stuck at home and, and look at all yep. the streaming things that everybody is, you know, downloading all this stuff. Um, it's the perfect time. And I do feel like, even though this has been such a tumultuous time, this is the time in this world that people are, are ready to hear a different narrative. They're ready yep. to, to watch a different story. I yep. love the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And exactly what you just said with our, you know, with our homeless story specifically, well, we've realized, and this is just an example, we've realized this perception that people have of the homeless community, right? Everyone thinks they're drug addicts, they're uh, mentally ill, which don't get me wrong. There are, there is a percentage of homeless folks that are, do fit into that category or if you want to box them in. Um, I don't think anyone should be boxed in, but that's besides the point because we're all living human breathing humans who have just various we're all you know I don't know we all intersect in many different places um and so but what we've come to find out and what the statistics show especially here in LA is there's just such a large percentage of people who are working homeless they are people who they are living in their cars and working two to three jobs and they still cannot pay their rent because of how expensive it is to live in this in this town in this city and it's nothing of what you think, right? It's it, or or the stereotypical homeless person. It's someone who is working so hard to make ends meet, but literally can't because of just this this cycle of poverty. Um, and so, it's really to sh- kind of show people, especially with that documentary, just the misconceptions, the you know, behind homelessness and the fact that it's not black and white. It's not people who are homeless are mentally ill and drug addicts and people who are not homeless are not right. It, there's so much that goes into homelessness and homelessness. And so it's um, just trying to take these uh, situations and these groups of people who are just un- unjustly stereotyped and um, really just turn it on its head and show people who they really are. And um, the fact that Sometimes you, you have to, and, and just like you said, with stories, you have to listen and watch these stories to truly understand um, that there's various perspectives when it comes to, to everything, everything, everything. Yeah. So do you find, and, and I, I think I already know the answer to this, but do you find that the, the documentary format with the visuals Mm-hmm. Um, really kind of gets the message across more so even than a straight reported story that you'd see, you know, online through text and everything. Again, I, I already know the answer to this, but perhaps you can elaborate on that a bit. I think, I think it all depends on the person and, and what visual, what medium they enjoy. Right. So I think that it, it, it really depends because I do some of the written articles that I've produced and published, I really do get great feedback and they, a lot of people still love that medium of whether it be a newspaper or digitally looking online and reading versus watching. 
But I think what's so impactful by, about documentary is you are really watching the situation unfold. And it's, it, it's not just someone describing it to you and you envisioning it in your mind. It's you're looking at it. You know, here is, I mean, the documentary filmmakers like, you know, myself, they go out and they are there on the ground of whatever it is. And they are, I mean, that's why TV is such a, a impactful medium, but with documentary, you have more time than television news and TV news. They're telling stories. When I was a TV reporter, I had a minute 30 to tell yeah. my stories <laughs> and that was on a good day. Sometimes they wanted me to cut that, you know, and so it's very difficult to tell a story and, and, to, and to provide nuance and to see all the different sides of something in that time. And also, you know, with television news, they used to say, we're, you know, you're feeding the beast because every day you have six or seven newscasts that you have to fill. And so the reporters are just like on the grind, go, 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 trying to fill and to, to get as much as possible. When with documentary, you have the time to really look and investigate and perfect and show something from all the angles of how it should be seen. So yes, I say, you know, I, I think documentary is, um, it's my, I, I personally have always loved documentaries, which is why I wanted to get into this because I learned so much from them. Um, and, and yeah, so. I think for me, the opportunity to, um, to, to visually see a human and maybe see their eyes yes. and maybe see their, you know, their facial expressions and things mm -hmm. that we pick up a lot of, of cues from that maybe we don't realize on an always conscious level, right. you know, those things might be available in a documentary format that you don't, you don't see that in a written text. So oh, there 100%. might be, there's another element, I think of, of power and connection there that that humanizes the story that you're trying to tell. And at the end of the day, I would imagine that's ultimately your goal is to make those mm -hmm. human connections between people, you know, like this is, this is another human just like you. So yep. we can do to help them. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I love that. What you're doing is, especially with the documentary format, I mean, you're telling all these heroes journeys, right. Our favorite style of story, but you're, I think a documentary lets me come to my own point of view, you're giving me the information and I'm forming that point of view. And I just think it makes it more solid than just a news report coming from the reporter's point of view. You're giving me the background. I feel like I'm in that space and then the information. And then I come up with my own point of view, which is when done well, which I know that you do things very well, really shapes a whole different perception of a situation. And isn't yeah. that where most of our problems start when when we're perceiving things completely wrong yeah yeah or just perceiving something from one point of view right yeah it's something I, you know and that's I think the biggest thing I've learned as a journalist is that nothing is ever black and white nothing is ever you know he said she said and that's it it's there's so many opinions and perspectives even in one story right and so it's so important for whatever story you're telling to get as many perspectives as possible to show that nuance and to show how different it can be viewed um, depending on who you are. So, I mean, we're all different. Every human is different. We all have different perspectives based on our experiences. And so it's, um, yeah. So, but I'm lucky I get to do this every day. <laughs> oh, that, it sounds, it so, sounds absolutely incredible. 
So what what would you say that the um, what is the the overreaching goal is the overreaching goal to to you know create this company that ends up um, advocating on a on a well probably advocating on a really human level as, as opposed to any kind of and this this would be I guess the hope not a political level because that's when we get messed up that's when we get all you know all muddy so is your is your work kind of geared towards towards the human connection side? Is that it? Yeah, of course. I, I you know, my work, I hope everything that I do, um, and Cody and I, we always say is, I mean, we want to touch as many lives as possible, right? But if we've touched one life, and whether it be the story about Erica climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and specifically she's doing it to raise money, or not money, to raise awareness about suicide in the disability community, which is a very prevalent situation um but is very rarely reported on and studied and so you know with that story if if we can save one life if one person can watch that and decide you know my what my life is worth living um then we've done our job i i hope that my hope is always to change the way specifically one to change the way the world views disability I want people to view it from, not necessarily from my perspective, but from a different perspective than our society, our very ableist society um, raises us and, and um, encourages us to view disability. And, and, and then my other goal is always to help and allow for people who are often marginalized and feel like they're not heard or seen to feel seen. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've done stories with incredible humans who just, it's its like just even talking to them, whether, and, and, and giving them the opportunity to tell their story, the, the way that they feel the, um, I, I can't even explain it. It's like this, it's like this connection that I have, that I end up having with them. And, and it ends up just filling my cup because I feel like I, I helped them tell their story. You know, I gave them that opportunity. And, um, and if it wasn't for me, a lot of times they wouldn't have had that opportunity. And so it's, um, it's really just trying to take these stories that are so important and so impactful, but you would never see them in mainstream media. You would never see them on your local news or, um, you know, national news and to elevate those stories and share them. So people have, uh, different understanding of the world that we live in. Well, I'll tell you what too, you know, I appreciate your work so much because look, my oldest son was the first blind person I ever met. And then three years later, I had a second one. I had no idea of any stories of success. It was only stories of sadness. So I had to go find them. And I mean, I scoured the globe everywhere to find them over, over more than a decade. So the fact, and I know the power of hearing someone else's story of success and, you know, struggle in there too, but, but that they were walking my walk and I could get there as well. And the fact that you're doing that, the impact, I know you want to impact one person, but the impact on so many people and really changing the landscape for these communities is tremendous. And, and, um, it's really, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're doing that in the world because we need it. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) You know, I want to go back really quickly to one thing that Kristen said, um, earlier about your work, and it's about the connection to hope that just Mm -hmm. keeps coming, coming out 
to me, not only hope because you are allowing these people to be seen, but the hope that the rest of us who are on the viewing end of this, there's that underlying hope that, look, I know you guys are good people out there. You just don't know what's here. So yeah. let me show it to you so that, you know, you can open those hearts that I know you have and yep. we can all we can all make this better. So not only are you approaching it from, you know, giving hope to the people who who have disabilities and are challenged, but you're you're approaching it from something that we desperately need this more this human kindness approach. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, it's out there. You just have to find a way to get it to people so that they can see what has to be done. Yeah, no, ex exactly. I mean, and from my experiences, I feel like human beings, we're just not, we are, we only know our experiences and we don't typically seek out other people's experiences or try to, it's, you know, it's not like, I mean, I grew up in a household with a disabled sister, but most, when you're growing up, most humans are not going to just because they're not going to think, oh, let me just befriend someone who's disabled to try to understand. That's just not mm -hmm. something I don't think we're wired that way. And so in order to get people to truly understand the perspectives of other people and how they get through society, you have to, I mean, that's why storytelling is so important and to show the stories of people who are not like you. Um, I can't tell you how many wonderful people I know, right, who before me, they use the R word. They didn't, had never met a disabled person in their life. They had no perception or perspective on disability until they met me. And how many friends I have to this day who have never, you know, stopped using, that's like one of my things where every time I hear someone use the R word, I'm like, I shut it down. Me too. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, who don't use that word anymore and who, purposefully now, you know, my friends who are parents teaching their children about disability and, and introducing them, their children, you know, it's like now that people who I know who are my age in their thirties and forties, you know, teaching their children about disability, but that might not have happened had they never met me, never seen these stories. So it's all, that's how you connect people is through storytelling. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's definitely a, a goal. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we, I think we can't say enough about the value of what you're putting out there into the world, again, both for those, those communities that you're serving and those of us who the re, are the recipients of, of your work and, and get to, you know, to just open our minds a little bit and open our hearts. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I want everybody to know where they can learn more about you, where they can find you, where they can support your work. So tell us that. Of course. Uh, so I'm all over social media and uh, my Instagram and my Facebook is at Allison Norleon, my name. Um, and then Birdmine also has um, social media uh, pages and that's at Birdmine Stories. And then I'm on Twitter too, personally, and it's at Allison Two Names. <laughs> Okay, everybody, please <laughs> take the time to check out now. Check out our work, support her, support Birdmine. And please, Allison, let us in our community know when your your you know documentaries are out there because we want everybody to see this and to be able to um, to share in your brilliance and, and spread more of that good stuff around in the world. I will definitely keep you posted. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> It was, it was wonderful. Okay, everybody, that wraps us up. Um, check out everything on brilliantlyresilient.net. We got a lot of good stuff coming up for you, programs, 
Um, I don't know, just all sorts of cool, fun stuff. Kristen, tell them about that. Cool <laughs> Actually, I, I was just sitting here as, as I'm thinking about this incredible conversation and, and, um, so much of this, we talked about your perspective and your perception, and we dive in a lot to your, per- your perception of your struggle. And I'm thinking, you know, one really fast, easy thing you can do if you're struggling with that perception of your struggle, go on Amazon and get the book, Brilliantly Resilient, because we dive into that whole reset and the, the different elements about changing how you're looking at your challenges. Get the book Brilliantly Resilient on Amazon and then let us know what you think and we can send you some more resources to help you out with that. So there you go. Okay, everybody. This has been wonderful. Again, Allison Norleon, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you all next time on the next episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.